0: And welcome back to VrilCast 5. We're going to be talking about the modern feedlots today, how they operate compared to normal regenerative practices in modern agriculture, and the differences that leads into the nutritional qualities of the cattle inside of the feedlots, because ever since we've started our own business, we've learned a lot about modern feedlot, modern farming, the practices that could be done or could not be done by the USDA labeling and all of that. So we pretty much made a deep dive into the topic. So let's get right into it.
1: Yeah, and I I also want to add to that point about how us actually being in the business has given us so much insight to how it operates. um, Kind of the things people do to bypass the grass-fed label and things like that. That's kind of standard in the industry that if you were just looking at something that said 100% grass-fed, you'd have no idea. Uh, these little nuances that they could basically do to get away with labeling and to get away with passing certain things as something they're not, is something we're going to talk about in this podcast
0: as well. Yeah, and for the most part, a lot of people, we understand that the convenience aspect of getting your meat from the grocery store is absolutely there. So if you're mostly getting your meat from the grocery store, you're pretty much getting it from these modern feedlots, which let's start by understanding exactly what it is. So it's important to understand that 97% of all meat in America comes from modern feedlots. Which to put into perspective, that means only 3% is coming from farms that practice regenerative agriculture and traditional farming methods. And not, not even that. Just
1: 3% is coming from beef that's grass-fed.
0: Grass, well, that, there's some nuances in that because labeling and whatnot. These yeah. feedlots could be labeled grass-fed if the cow even ate one grain but, of grass. That, that's
1: included in the 3%. Yeah, so not even 3%. Yeah, within that
0: 3%, not everyone practices regenerative agriculture. It could just be standard farm where they feed grain and whatnot. But within that 97%, four conglomerates pretty much control all of the beef supply to grocery stores. And those four conglomerates are Tyson Foods, JBS, Cargill, and Marfrig. And they're pretty much just these large co-packers that source meat from these farms. And then they put whatever label they want on it. They get the grating, and then they send it out to these grocery stores. Like one brand that comes to mind in particular is Aldi, and they use national beef, which I think is Tyson Foods. And they pretty much pack it up, and then they put the grass-fed, grass-finished label, up, but they source meat from a bunch of different farms. So there's no authenticity there.
1: Yeah, and just to add to why this is a problem, these four conglomerates have tight control over the pricing for beef and how they buy these cows before they're slaughtered. So this applies pressure on the farmers to basically cut costs wherever they can. Because they have no set in the, they had no say in the price being set. It's just these four giant companies that set all the market prices. And then the farmers are basically forced to abide by cutting any costs possible. We'll go into it later, exactly how they cut costs in many different ways. The other thing is, so in America, 3% of our beef is grass fed. Of course, not all 3% of it is the same quality, but just 3% is grass fed. But this is actually not the norm. The fact that we have 97% of all our beef coming from these feedlots with abhorrent conditions is not the norm whatsoever in other parts of the world. So much older farming economies like Britain, for example, has 87% of their beef coming from grass-fed sources. And if you ask any British person, they'll say that grass-fed is just normal to them. It's not some special label, it's not some premium thing that they buy, kind of like it is in the United States. It's kind of just the norm. And another example would be France. They have almost their entire beef supply fed on grass. Whether it's finished on grass is another nuance, but for most of their lives, the cows are eating only grass. But in America, grass-fed is like a new trend, especially the last couple of years. It really, really started ramping up. And again, it's only 3% in the last 20 years. But in the last three or four years, it's become a bigger trend. But in other parts of the world, it's not normal whatsoever to basically be getting all your meat from these unnatural, poisonous feedlots.
0: Yeah, and you can see this kind of like uh, fully grass-fed thing in other places of the world, like Australia and New Zealand, where a lot of the meat that comes into the U.S. is actually imported from. And all of the meat there is pretty much raised on full green pastures. And of course, the climate of the region plays into it. America's obviously a lot bigger than places like Britain and France, so there are colder regions and if you raise cattle within those colder regions, they don't have as much grass, but it's actually a good thing that grass-fed is becoming a new trend in America because more people are trying to actually get that grass-fed label, which there is nuances in it, but labeling matters a lot, and within that grass-fed being a new trend There's also some bad things about it because that means people pay more of a premium for a label. And the label is also subject to fraudulent actions in there because it doesn't need to be necessarily fed on pure grass, like we're going to get into later. But within this modern feedlot, the cows are pretty much just standing in very fenced conditions. And if you look at how they're eating, there's absolutely no grass in sight they pretty much ate all the grass in the area and they're confined to this one area. There was never grass there. No, I think there was grass and then they just fully ate it. And then once they eat that, they're just standing in that area. The cows pretty much don't move whatsoever because they don't have the room to move. And then they're just feeding on the grain that the farmers give them. So basically their whole lives are standing and eating. And what they're eating is pretty much glyphosate sprayed crops. They get no exercises, they get no movement, and they get no play. And those three are all vital to having like a better quality of life and better meat all around. But that leads to more fattier, more tender cuts of beef. Because if you guys know how beef works, the more the beef uses the muscle, the more lean the muscle is, the more tough it is. Because if you look at the tenderloin, it's the most tender part of the cow, but that muscle pretty much doesn't get used by the cow whatsoever. Whereas if you look at something like the cheeks, the cow's always chewing, that's a much tougher cutter, requires a lot more cooking. So this is pretty much American gluttony at its finest.
1: Yeah, a kind of a representation of America. And when you say the cows are just standing and eating, it doesn't sound too bad, but it's far worse and far more sinister as we'll continue to dive deeper into as this podcast goes along. Just to foreshadow on that, in these feedlots, Almost every cow has cancer. Almost every cow is riddled with bacterial infections and abscesses, which are filled with pus. This leads to the widespread use of antibiotics, which in the United States is 81 milligrams per kilogram of cattle. So, whatever one cow weighs, it might be like 800 kilograms. I don't know. One cow is about a ton. It's about yes, yeah. 2,000 pounds. So, about 800 kilograms. That's 81 milligrams per kilogram of cattle. By consuming this beef, you're quite literally consuming disease as well as all the antibiotics and everything else that the cow's ever been administered. You're nuking your own microbiome and a lot of other things as well that we'll get into.
0: Yeah, and cows specifically are pretty much allowed for the most part to be administered all of this because it's pretty much the greed of the companies that want the cow at a cheap price. Whereas we sell wild game meat, wild game is a lot more strict on what can be administered what can be caged in and all of that but a normal diet within these feedlots is can, usually consists of gmo corn and soy feed because these corn and soy products are very fattening they contain a lot of fat they're very easy for the cow to get down and because of the monocropic agriculture of corn and soy in america it's also the easiest way to fatten the cattle at a super cheap price so about 70 to 90% of their diet usually consists of this super industrial grain which like I mentioned before is glyphosate sprayed if it's not glyphosate sprayed it's sprayed with some other kind of pesticide but what's really surprising is I know I mentioned 70 to 90% of their feed is this industrial grain 10 to 30% of modern feedlot cattle's feed is industrial byproduct which I was doing research to the, about this topic, I was like, even I didn't know about this yet. And yeah. what I mean by industrial byproduct is basically it's human inedible residues from human food. So think stuff that got expired, like Twinkies, like they technically never go bad or like stuff like that and fuel production. So think seed oils pretty much. So some things like that could be like corn gluten feed and distiller grains, but they're pretty much Giving these cattle anything that humans just don't use or just can't eat. And by giving them all of this industrial grain and this industrial byproduct, like we said before, you become, you are what you eat pretty much. You eat what the cow is eating. But because of this, a cow in this industrial feedlot usually gains 2.5 to 4 pounds a day, which is completely unnatural. It's a scenario. Top one bulk yeah it's a scenario you would absolutely never see in nature because that rate of gain is insanely unnatural unless you're being fed poison that pretty much shuts down your metabolism completely like if you were to look at a cow that eats grass right their rate of gain would be way slower. they're only eating grass which isn't high highly caloric, but it's what a cow should be eating ancestrally and now you're giving them all of this grain industrial byproduct which slows down their metabolism it pretty much shuts down all of their Vital organs to function like how they're supposed to at a way slower rate. They just keep stuff shoving this food into the cow. It gains fat at such a high, high uh, rate, and that fat is filled with toxins because the toxins get stored in the fat of the cow. Yeah, no movement, high stress, disease,
1: antibiotics, GMO, glyphosate sprayed corn and soy. It all leads to this basically metabolic destruction of the cows. And the other huge thing that we can't possibly look over when we're talking about this 2 to 2.5 to 4 pounds a day in gain is the amount of rampant and aggressive steroid use that's administered to these cows. That's the only way they could possibly be gaining that much weight on top of everything else that was mentioned. Um, the amount of steroids they use, it's very aggressive, and it makes them gain an unnatural amount of mass and it increases the cancer toll on the cows. Almost every cow has cancer. And this basically translates directly to what you're eating because consuming this beef will cause major endocrine disruption in your own hormonal balance because you're essentially consuming atomic bomb of heavy duty hormonal drugs (laughs) that were injected into the cow.
0: Yeah, and you can look at videos online. Pretty much this kind of highlights the fact that every cow has cancer there's videos of butchers getting um, the cow carcass and they're just like, there's this like little black spot on it and they're just like, oh, that's the cancer, I gotta cut it out. And they literally just cut out the cancer and then they go with butchering the cow and displaying it and doing whatnot. Yeah. But obviously we know how cancer works. There could be cancer cells everywhere. Yeah. And Trenbolone's a common drug that's given these cows. For cows
1: especially.
0: Yeah. yeah, so if you want to see what a cow in Trenbolone looks like, search that up, you'll see the most jacked cow ever that's completely unnatural looks like it's a bodybuilder but the reason they pump these cows full of this food in order to fatten them up is because that rate of gain is essentially what makes these feedlots profitable because in order for a cow to be slaughtered and sent to a facility to be um, packed and chopped and butchered and separated into these separate cuts it needs to be a certain weight so by feeding it all of these industrial products, industrial crops, industrial byproduct, it could reach that weight in about 14 to 22 months, depending how much you know, it's getting fed. And basically the cattle being able to get slaughtered faster in that 14 to 22 month range basically means faster money for the farmers, which means more, more meat is getting sent to the, these four conglomerates that are co-packers and just more money in the pockets of these industrial farmers.
1: Yeah, and it's pretty much the only way they could be profitable. Given the tight control that the four conglomerates have on the beef supply, they're pretty much forced to do this. The only other way that they could kind of get out of this is what we've seen some of the regenerative farms doing, is basically going direct to consumer and setting their own prices for people people who are willing to pay the premium. But people who are going the conventional route and trying to sell to stores, the only way they could get profitable is by... Using these feedlot methods.
0: Yeah. And recently, there actually has been a huge spike in these farmers going regenerative and the traditional route. Because I think over the last four years, the grass fed beef demands have been rising exponentially. Now, these numbers could be incorrect, but I think in 2016, the grass fed beef industry was valued at around 400 million. It's in the billions now. And I think it's above two or three billion at this point. And recently on social media, there have, has been definitely a lot of farms popping up that are talking about the regenerative agriculture, how they're rotationally grazing all their cows, what farming methods they're using. And usually this actually leads to a higher price, but you know what you're paying for. So it's important to understand the differences from the way that these cows are managed by these regenerative farmers. So to kind of like understand what it is, rotational grazing is basically a farming strategy Employed by these regenerative farmers, that consists of allowing these cattle to freely graze on a select few acres of land. So, basically, when they're grazing on it, they're laying in the sun, they're eating the grass, they're pooping on it, they're farting, they're doing whatever cows do in nature normally. Then, once all of that grass is eaten in that select few acres of land that they're allotted, these farmers take those cows and they move it to a fresh pasture. So, another uh, aspect of this regenerative farming is that you need a lot more space compared to these feedlots where these cows just stand in one spot and gorge themselves on soy and corn. So they get moved to this new fresh pasture and they repeat the same thing. They eat, they poop, they fart, they, they laze, they graze, and whatnot. But in that old area where they ate all the grass, it doesn't just stay brown their poop, their their, yeah. their 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 products that they released, it actually regenerates the environment. It contributes to the soil health. It contributes to the biological ecosystem of the area. And it actually helps all of the soil heal and it helps the land regrow like it's supposed to.
1: Yeah. And ultimately this regenerative farming, it's insanely good for the animals and it makes the animals healthy. It makes them live a happy life. And ultimately, It makes the food source that they provide to us actually nutritious and non-toxic. But this whole regenerative agriculture is ultimately centered around remineralizing the soil, Mm -hmm. which is the source of all nutrition on Earth, if you go bottom up. And this can honestly be a podcast of its own because it's very interesting. But if you just think about it conceptually, the sun gives energy to the plants. They make energy out of sunlight. And then... The herbivores eat the plants. They get energy from the plants. Then we go up the animal food chain until it gets to us. Then
0: we eat the herbivores.
1: Yeah, so essentially, if the soil, a.k.a. the plants, are devoid of minerals, which they are right now for a reason that's not related to feedlot farming, then essentially, as it makes its way up the food chain, it loses more and more, and we don't get the minerals. We get vitamin and mineral deficiencies, Yes. which is a big problem. Now, just to touch on an interesting tidbit. The reason that our soil nutrition is completely shot is because we were able to make synthetic ammonium nitrate. And I hope that's the right name for the fertilizer. I know
0: Agent, Agent Orange, that's what it's called. That's the code name for it.
1: Yeah, so basically ammonium nitrate existed in nature on these few islands that were filled with seagull poop. I'm not even joking. For some reason, that's what made it. And then we basically harvested those entire islands. It was a massive amount somewhere around between 100 and 200 years ago and this fertilizer it obviously makes crops grow much faster to provide a worldwide food supply and a large percentage of the world don't quote me on this but it might have been like half the world would have starved to death if we hadn't been able to produce it uh synthetically
0: i remember reading that
1: and so once some like one singular scientist he saved the entire world by figuring out how to produce this thing synthetically But basically, its use has become so widespread on absolutely everything. This fertilizer is used for every single crop. It's completely drained all the nutrition from the soil. And that's why now we seriously need to focus on remineralizing the soil. Because even things we eat, like let's say bread has a certain amount of manganese or something. And we're not even talking about glyphosate bread right now. Just like actual good bread. It's not going to have that amount that it had 100 years ago. Because all those vitamins and minerals from the soil simply don't exist anymore after all the ammonium nitrate abuse.
0: Yeah, I think a common statistic is like to get the same amount of nutrition from one apple 200 years ago, you need to eat 10 apples now. Yeah. And that's why a reason why this regenerative farming is so important right now is because it remineralizes the soil within that area. Yeah. Like if you look at one of the recent Joe Rogan podcasts with the host of White Oak Pastures, Will Harris, he actually brought a jar of the soil with him. And then he also brought a jar of the soil that he took from a neighboring farm that doesn't inv- uh, engage in regenerative practices. And the soil is just like so many more shades darker. And it's yeah, visibly more nutrient dense. So I, at some point, this ammonium nitrate was necessary to yeah. kind of get us out of the surround of not enough food supply for the entire world. But now that we have a stable food supply at this point, the concern should be in remineralizing the soil because these these farmers with these cattle are doing it right but this hasn't reached from what i'm on from what i know right now this hasn't reached the actual like crop industry yet so the crop industry kind of has to adapt what these regenerative farmers are doing but the problem is this type of farming it's not as profitable for the farmer
1: the only way to profit is to go DTC to a niche consumer base that's willing to pay
0: DTC is direct to consumer and it's not as profitable because the farmer requires more acres of land acres have to be purchased and they also have to be upkept. like there could be infestations of like I think there's like these squirrels that go in and out of the ground and like pests like that so that's a lot more upkeep cost for the uh, for the farmers And they have to manage their cattle, they have to graze them rotationally, they have to have a surplus of grass for the cattle to feed on, which obviously limits it to a certain area, like New York City has lush, not New York City, New York State has lush areas of grassland, but then places kind of like Canada, it's a lot more snow. So it also doesn't allow for these cows to be fed these monocropic crops like corn and soy, which are being produced by the billions in America. They have to be fed what's on the farm. Um, And those crops are obviously high inflammatory omega-6 crops. And another major part of why it's not as profitable is since the cows are only eating grass, these cows have to be a lot older before they're harvested compared to the feedlot cattle. Because like I mentioned before, these cows gain weight at a way slower rate. They're only eating grass. Grass isn't nearly as calorically dense as corn and soy or as this industrial byproduct. So before they reach that weight uh, in order to get butchered, it takes them about 20 to 26 months, which it doesn't seem like a lot more of a jump from 14 to 22 months. Like They even overlap, but it's considerably higher when you think about how many cows need to actually so get butchered. Yeah, like these bigger... Or so farms. I think the biggest farm, the biggest feedlot, not the biggest regenerative farm. Let me clarify in the United States is in Texas. And I think it contains 900,000 heads of cattle. So you could take, let's take the lowest of the low and the highest of the high. 14 months to slaughter a feedlot cattle compared to 26 months to slaughter a grass fed, grass finished cattle. This is an average of 12 months. It's a whole year different. Yeah. And then you have 900,000 of those cattle. The discrepancy in that is huge for yeah, profits. Yeah, it's huge.
1: Yeah, and the other thing we have to consider here is obviously what goes with regenerative, agri- regenerative agriculture inherently is these cows aren't receiving GMO crops. They're not receiving steroids, any type of hormones. They're not receiving antibiotics. Some of them receive antibiotics if it's, like, heavily needed to save the cow. Yeah. But most of them, even if it is, they still won't administer So that's on a farm-by-farm basis, but not only everything you mentioned with basically how fast these cows grow and stuff, they also don't give them steroids. Mm -hmm. So they're not growing to these super physiological, as they would call it, sizes, which like even if you grow the cow for 26 months, it's not going to be nearly as big. So not only do you take the time delay, you take a mass delay in absolute terms because the cow's not getting steroids. So the yield of the cow, the amount of meat they could actually sell, is not as much either
0: when they're doing regenerative agriculture. Yeah, and that's usually why the price of the meat from these direct-to-consumer or local farmers is higher. And another cost that goes into it is they actually have to care for the cow. A lot of these farmers, they don't give the cow V-words. I don't know if we could say that, but... A lot of them are coming up, they say, we don't give them the mRNA, and then they they require a lot of attention from these farmers. These farmers genuinely care for these cattle, and there's videos of them, like, tending to them, and, like, when a cow gets sick, you don't just throw it a bunch of antibiotics and say, let it heal. They actually have to care for it, and then these expenses actually rack up, because then they have to buy exactly the, the tools they need in order to care for these cattle. And... This regenerative agriculture, it doesn't just go into the way that these cows are grazed on the land, but there's also been a lot of environmental propaganda saying that the feedlots are actually a lot more beneficial to the environment than these grass-fed, grass-finished regenerative um, agricultural practices because the cows have to live less and they reduce less carbon emissions. But we're gonna get into that right now because. Modern studies, whether we need less carbon
1: emissions for the health of the planet is also another probably podcast of its own. That's another
0: topic that we can deep dive into. Yeah. But there's actually a lot of nuances that go into it. So modern studies on feedlot finished beef and grass finished beef show that grain finished beef, which is the feedlot finished beef, has a lower carbon footprint than the grass finished beef. And they say this because it's due to more efficient utilization of the feed in the finishing phase which means fewer days on that feed, fewer days alive, and greater amount of beef produced per animal. But this actually couldn't be more incorrect when you look into it. The grain feedlot process pretty much concentrates all the animal waste and other hazardous substances that can pollute air and water with the runoff. Like when you think about it, these cows are just standing still. These cows have the same process as humans. They have to poop, they're eating, shit so they need to throw up sometimes too yeah. and where does all that go they're in feedlots where they're packed together that's not getting cleaned up that's getting piled up and then this eventually pretty much goes into the water supply so this waste makes its way into the water supply it pollutes the water which then subsequently pollutes the fish in that water i know will harris actually had another problem where they pretty much allowed all of the water i don't think will harris had this problem but he heard of this problem they allowed all of the waste and runoff from these industrial feedlots to go into the waters of this like super thriving oyster shucking town, right so this town pretty much thrived on the fact that their waters had oysters, and then all of this industrial byproduct made its way into the into the water, killed off all of the oysters, and that town went to rut. like it couldn't function anymore on an economic level because its main like uh main profit driver was just completely shut off by all the industrial waste. And this also leads to monocropic agriculture because they need to feed these cattle, which forces million, millions and billions, if you, if you think about which animals, to die, like bees, squirrels, rabbits. They lose their homes. They die for the sake of mass production of corn and soy in the U.S., which obviously negatively impacts the, dev- the, device, the diversity of the environment.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's basically this one huge pipeline of things that completely go against nature. From the giant monocrop fields where you have one crop, for example, soybean growing for hundreds of thousands of acres, that would never happen in a forest, in a jungle, in a temperate environment, a plain, whatever. You have a whole diversity of plants. Whereas it starts with these monocrops. The monocrops are GMO. So they're modified to be able to survive the glyphosate. Yeah. Everything else dies. The environment is completely destroyed, the soil is destroyed, Uh, the habitat of bees and a bunch of other animals are destroyed. Then these huge GMO monocrops are used to feed these feedlots, basically feedlots full of cattle, Mm -hmm. which have their own unnatural processes going on. Just to put it into perspective, right, this basically propaganda about how it's better for the environment to have feedlots, so they feed on these GMO monocrops. Plowing one soybean field will kill or dismember multiple tens of thousands of ground squirrels, voles, shrews, which are also little types of ground animals, snakes, turtles, frogs, birds, and rabbits. Anything that survives the um, the plowing of the field will then just simply be killed by a succeeding glyphosate spray yeah. that succeeds the uh, the plowing of it. And obviously, when you monocrop, you have to destroy the environment and just plant only one crop there. So this basically removes the natural environments for bees and a bunch of other insects and animals, killing over 30 million bees in the last year alone, which are super important for the environment. So literally, along the entire chain, along the entire pipeline, you're destroying the environment at every step.
0: Yeah, and also, so where does that leave us in terms of all of these crops? We're pretty much taking all of this corn, all of, these, all of this soy, the most profitable crop for farmers right now. We're going into its genetics. We're taking its genetics and we're modifying them in order to be glyphosate resistant. So the crop yeah. itself is pretty much completely different from what it would be in nature. And you could look at videos of this. They, there's like farmers in hazmat suits walking through these fields and just letting out pipe loads of glyphosate. Yeah. which is just absolutely devastating to the environment like you mentioned and another statistic that goes into it which you wouldn't think would be a problem since we have so much of it is water but basically an exorbitant amount of water is required to produce the grain for the feedlots now you think that water is this un, un um like unusable resource like we we can't possibly use all of it up is what i mean unexhaustible resource but the u.s pretty much produces about 14.2 billion bushels of corn annually. And that's 795 billion pounds of corn, to put into perspective how far this monocropic agriculture went. And 70% of that is fed to the livestock. And then 30% is allocated to uh, human food and other things. And it takes 858 trillion gallons of water to produce this much corn. And we can estimate that about 600 trillion gallons of water are used for the corn in the feedlot production annually. Now, a nuance that could be spoken about is the purity of the water that's getting used so that even that alone reduces the nutritional value of the corn uh, like even more. But the average water footprint per calorie of beef, so you think beef is like super good for the environment, it's 20 times as large as it is for cereals and starches. So you're taking this cow that should be able to regenerate the environment and you're actually making it way worse for the environment than these things like cereal grains. And if beef feedlot advocates want to argue that corn represents only a small part of the feedlot cattle's diet, that suggests that they're using a lot of other grains like hay and additives, which require water as well. And this also promotes the spraying of other pesticides and to other crops and the cattle consume it. But on the other hand, the argument comes in that regenerative agriculture makes the cows fart and release carbon dioxide CO2 into the air, which is harmful to the environment. And
1: also adding on to that, does that sort of imply that the feedlot cows aren't farting? Because there's a lot more feedlot cows <laughs> exactly. which are farting at the same time as everything else is going on. I know
0: personally when I eat a diet that's far off from my normal diet, I fart a lot more. But the whole argument comes in that these green feedlot cattle... They're simply not alive as longer, as long as these regeneratively raised. They they get killed off faster and then they fart less. But then you have to put it into perspective. 90% of the cattle are coming from these feedlots and they're doing it per cow. And that's so stupid because you have to look at the majority of where these cows are coming from. So the argument that's coming in is that these cows are longer or alive for longer from these regenerative farms. So they have more of a chance to produce CO2 by farting.
1: Yeah, I mean, another, another easy uh, counter to that is that as soon as one batch of cows is killed on the feedlots, they just instantly start growing the next batch with steroids and GMO monocrops.
0: Yeah, but in a real regenerative farming model, grass-fed and finished animals, which eat and poop on the land, they contribute to the soil health. And the healthy soil, which is a product of this regenerative farming model, sorry, it absorbs more carbon than less healthy soil. So ultimately, the entire process of regenerative beef is carbon sequestering, and it actually reduces carbon emissions because we know that soil requires carbon in order to have nutrients and be healthy soil. So when you have soil that's devoid of all this nutrients from non-regenerative farming model, it doesn't absorb any carbon from from the air. But when you have soil that's healthy, that's thriving in a biodiverse environment, like in these regenerative models of farming, It actually takes the soil from the air and pulls it into itself in order to feed the nutrients within it. So the carbon dioxide in the air has actually been decreasing steadily over the last 100 years, ever since modern – no, I messed that up. So having carbon dioxide in the air from these regenerative models actually helps put essential nutrients back into the soil. And the essential nutrients in the soil, like you said, it's been decreasing steadily over the last 100 years, ever since modern agriculture became heavily industrialized.
1: Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, the takeaway here is that no matter what these studies have proven, and it doesn't even make sense if you take two seconds to think about it, but ultimately, feedlot farming and monocropping are the complete opposite of nature. They destroy nature at every turn, whereas regenerative farming aims to basically adapt domestic animal agriculture with you know, these animals we've d- domesticated, like cows, goats, sheep, etc., to the existing patterns that nature yeah. has basically used to self-regulate
0: for millions of years. Yeah. So obviously humans have evolved and instead of evolving without the sake of the planet in mind, regenerative agriculture gives this concept that we take the best way to keep the planet at its healthiest state and also implement these industrial agricultural processes whereas feedlot farming completely disregards the well-being of the environment whatsoever. And this also leads to huge nutritional differences between grass-fed and the grain-fed feedlot beef.
1: And before we start this topic, this is a pretty controversial topic in certain communities, the carnivore community, animal-based. Some people will say, oh, it's okay to eat grain-fed beef sometimes, which if you don't have a choice, it is okay. It's better than eating a processed food but you can't say that they don't have big differences because the differences are vast and we're going to get into that now.
0: Yeah. So one thing to clarify before diving into this topic is not all grass-fed and finished beef is equal. So like we mentioned before, under USDA laws, which I've learned myself from starting our business, is if the feed is not dried, this is a very interesting fact, it can still be considered grass. So what do I mean by this? So in order for a a feed for the cow to be considered grain, it needs to be dried. So from my various communication with bison ranchers specifically, many feed these bison in a time when there's not enough grass in wherever they are. A lot of them are in Nevada or colder regions. If they feed them... Nevada's a desert. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. So there's not, mean there's not that much grass. Uh, South Dakota, Wyoming, places where there's a lot of snow, Minnesota. Uh, there could be times where the bison's not going to see grass and then the farmers are like, we're not going to let these bison die. So they feed them wet corn stalks and wet soybeans. So since these are wet products, they're not dried. They're considered grass. And the USDA has absolutely no issue with that. Corn so, is a grass. <laughs> so sourcing matters massively. So finding a source online or a farmer that you trust and has built a report and trust around their entire farming practices is very important to sourcing your meat.
1: Yeah, and just just an interesting tidbit. Um you guys should look up what corn used to look like before it was hybridized. Oh, yeah.
0: there's like no there's like no meat on the no, corn. No, the
1: corn it was literally a grass. It's still considered a grass, but the genetic modifi- modification has gone too f- so far that I don't know what it is now, like a vegetable or a fruit. I have no idea.
0: Corn? I think it's a vegetable. Yeah.
1: yeah maybe it's a vegetable, I it don't know. It doesn't have
0: seeds. So... But it used to be a grass. <laughs> But to get into the actual nutrition part of it, so on average, grass-fed beef nutrition for four ounces of meat looks like around 22 grams of protein. Macronutrients. Macronutrients. And around 2.9 grams of fat. Whereas the grain-fed beef is 22 grams of protein and 5.2 grams of fat, which goes back to like we were saying, they get fed all of this industrial byproduct, industrial monocrops, uh, uh, monocrops. They get more fat within them. And a lot of these people in these certain communities are like, ah, yes, animal fat. Animal fat is so good for me. It has a lot of omega-3s and a lot of stearic acid. But the 5.2 grams of fat, which is an increase of 2.3 grams of fat from the grass-fed cows, is not the type of fat you're looking for. Its fatty acid profile is completely different from what it's supposed to look like in a grass-fed cow. Grain-fed beef, that 5.2 grams of fat, it has an omega-6 to an omega-3 ratio of 9 to 1, which makes that an inflammatory fat pretty much and grass-fed beef has a ratio of two to one and that could go even lower if you get even like more pasture raised and even more grass and even more play into their diet so there are nine times more omega-6 fats in grain fed compared to just two times as many in grass-fed and ideally we know that humans want a one-to-one ratio so the best thing to eat to minimize systematic inflammation is grass-fed beef and i'd even argue that eating grain-fed beef is inflammatory
1: yeah well there's an argument to be made that eating anything is inflammatory inherently and then you just want to minimize the inflammation but yeah that ratio is totally unnatural it's totally off uh i did want to just touch on another point really quick the omega-6 in the grain-fed beef um of course it's unnatural it's inflammatory but it's not as bad as the omega-6 coming from seed oils which we discussed on our last podcast since seed oils are basically hyper-processed and oxidized. Two podcasts ago. Two, two podcasts ago, which means they're rancid. And there are other things to consider as well. So we, we have those coming up that we're going to explore now, such as non-nutrient and non-macronutrient considerations. Yeah,
0: so they have this omega-6 to omega-3 ratio of 9 to 1 in the grain-fed cattle beef. And this fatty acid profile... It's coming from what the cow is eating. So they're eating GMOs, or genetically modified organisms, that are pretty much plants that have had their genetic structure changed to live even after being sprayed with glyphosate. Glyphosate in the form of Roundup, which is the most common weed killer. That's just the brand name. Yeah. It pretty much kills the grass and the weeds around the crops, but not the crops themselves, yeah. which is where the GMO comes in. And these traces of glyphosate, they're not even traces. They're literally like boatloads of blood. Yes,
1: Bucketfuls. It's yeah. literally airplanefuls. They sweep airplanes over yeah. the field.
0: They end up being eaten by the animals in their feed, and then that, that gets eaten by you. And we know ruminants have four stomachs. So a lot of people think that gives it a lot of leeway to go through the entire digestion tract and get rid of all the toxins. But that's simply not the case. They have these four ruminant stomachs in order to fully process grass in nature. When you introduce a compound that's so deviated from nature, like glyphosate, into that, not even four ruminants, not even eight ruminant stomachs can handle that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And just to quickly recap before we continue to explore this. When you eat conventional beef, you're eating the pesticide, laden GMO, corn, and soybeans, the industrial waste that the cow ate, the antibiotics it was pumped full of, the potent hormonal drugs and steroids it was pumped full of any bacterial and viral infections that it had, any cancers that it had, and basically it's just an overall very stressed organism on a cellular level, and you're consuming all of that. Yeah,
0: so when you go to the store and you think that you're making a health decision, it isn't to discourage people in financial situations. If you have the means to only buy the five-pound chub rocket from Walmart, that's like a 70-30 fat ratio of beef, By all means, that's a lot better than going out to McDonald's and eating McDonald's slob and whatnot. But when you go to the store and you have the means to buy grass-fed from a farmer, but instead you choose to buy this grain-fed feedlot beef and you think you're making a health choice, but then you eat it and you don't end up feeling as good as you think you do. You have these inflammatory responses. You're bloated, you're farting, you have brain fog. That's exactly what plays into it. Of these antibiotics, the glyphosate, the viral infections, the bacteria. So if you're consuming this kind of grain-fed feedlot beef on a regular basis, it will eventually catch up to you if you're not feeling it already. And besides the huge omega imbalance and the toxins in the grains, grass-fed beef is also higher in a lot of things that aren't macronutrients like antioxidants and total micronutrients like B vitamins, creatine, everything like that, taurine. Given that you are eating nose-to-tail, you should have a full balanced micronutrient ratio just from the cow exclude like vitamin c vitamin d things that you could get from plants but if you're eating nose to tail potato <laughs> yeah if you're eating nose to tail you're eating the the liver you're eating the collagenous cuts like the cheeks the short ribs things close to the bone the bone marrow the heart you're gonna get a full pretty much panel of micronutrients coq10 even liver has vitamin c you're gonna get a balanced yeah, dose Metathione, balanced tryptophan, balanced amino acid ratio. So, pretty much eating one grass fed cow, eating one cow can pretty much feed a whole family because you get about 700 pounds of meat from one cow. That could feed a whole family for a year and it's going to be very well balanced in nutrients compared to what goes into killing one feedlot cattle. It's like the lives of like 20 billion bees. So, yeah
1: yeah and in addition when, when you eat a sort of regenerative regeneratively raised cow as compared to something coming from a feedlot something coming from a feedlot and this is personal opinion it's unnaturally fatty as we mentioned and of course every animal has fatty cuts including a regenerative cow obviously like the oxtail is not going to be lean Um, Mm -hmm. But eating something unnaturally fatty from a feedlot cow, it can often leave you feeling heavy. And like you said, you could have these other reactions like brain fog, bloating, etc. Some people like that, but if you're trying to align yourself ancestrally and sort of follow an ancestral diet, our ancestors only truly had access to very lean or at best moderately lean wild game animals that they had to hunt down in nature such as rabbits, deer, elk, birds, something moderately lean would have been buffalo here in North America, depends where your ancestry is coming from. And they would have never been able to consume a ribeye that had like 30 grams of fat in it. That's simply unnatural. Of course, some of the parts of the animal from nose tail were fatty, but eating every cut from the animal being super fatty is also something totally unnatural. It's not ancestrally aligned. And yeah. we can also do a different podcast about basically like real ancestral diets by geography because that's, that's what varied them the most is yeah. where you were located in the world. And uh, basically what hunter-gatherers ate before
0: farming. Yeah, and undoubtedly this grain-fed fattier beef does have a better flavor. It's, it's a lot more tender. It's a lot more fatty. But the gluttony in this grain-fed beef system is just completely out of hand like we've reached this point with especially like the wagyu grade and the usda prime and the australian grade that people are pretty much just trying to make the fattest cow like if you look at bms 12 a5 wagyu which is pretty much the highest grade uh marbling you could possibly get on a cow it's like one maybe two percent of it is lean so you get this thing that I've had it once before. Yeah, we tried it one time. And I had maybe, like, 15 grams of a cooked, small little piece of A5 Wagyu. And as soon as I put it into my mouth, the entire, like, inside of my mouth got coated. It just melted instantly. With a layer of fat. It, it wasn't even, like, it was kind of like just taking a spoonful of melted tallow into your mouth. Yeah, when people
1: say it melts in your mouth, that's only true for Wagyu. Like, you put it into your mouth and it literally melts. It turns into a liquid right away.
0: Yeah, and, like... The price people pay for this is insane. Like, we're based out of New York City. There's a lot of steakhouses here. One of the most famous ones is Peter Luger's. Yeah. Right? And Peter Luger's whole system of, uh, is basically like there's only steak on the menu. There's, like, various salads and whatnot, but they're pretty much their main thing is steak. The only thing that's good. Yeah, <laughs> and they sell porterhouses. So they sell a 16 – no, they sell a 32-ounce porterhouse, ho- uh, porter which is steak for two, for about $140 and it's dry aged what makes it cost that much but the quality of this meat it's insanely high in histamines because it's been dry aged for so long which for people with allergies you can feel that pretty much instantly when you're in tune with your body you can feel when you eat something off pretty much instantly. Easily. Like i've had it once or twice and when you eat this meat my nose gets clogged personally like as soon as i'm finished eating it and you pay a premium price for a non-premium product in terms of nutrients. It's still good in terms of nutrients in the fact that it's beef, but the sourcing of the beef matters massively. And for steakhouses like these, they're pretty much looking for the fattiest cut that you get at a cheapest price. So to put that into perspective, they're probably paying like 13 methanol, like probably $9 a pound for these porterhouses. And then they charge you about $80 a pound for these porterhouses. Not including the bone, which is just like absolutely insane to me.
1: Yeah, you're paying 150 bucks for grass-fed beef with a really good crust. Yeah, that's it.
0: A lot of places are doing grain-fed.
1: Right? Did I say grass? You fed? said grass-fed. You're, you're paying fed. 150 bucks for grain-fed beef with a really good crust. Yeah,
0: and a lot of these places are, are starting to do it right. I know in New York City, most of them are in Texas or in Florida. Uh, I know the in yeah. Texas. Oh. <laughs> I know in Texas there's a lot of. Um, new places popping up like food trucks which uh, are saying no seed oils like ziki it's pretty much like this greek kitchen food truck which doesn't use any seed oils grass-fed everything there's a place in new york city that does it right it's called hearth they pretty much put all of the transparent sourcing of where all of the animals are hawks, from. more new york city has a lot yeah so more and more places are adapting this model of the quality of the meat isn't just about how fatty it is it's about the the diet of the cow
1: and i also want to point out the reason Hawksmoor is all grass-fed is because they have two head chefs there and one of them is british
0: well Hawksmoor is a british it's it, a british, steak it's a british steakhouse. steakhouse yeah
1: but for this just goes back to what we were saying in the beginning where in much older farming economies like britain grass-fed is just normal for them whereas here it's something premium something extra
0: yeah like i was in argentina recently and pretty much all of the steaks there are grass-fed they're all cooked over open flame and whenever you'd get a steak, which is incredibly cheap there, it's about 18 17 15 to $18 dollars for 500 grams of steak, which is roughly like 12 ounces. That's a pound. That That's a pound. That's, that's 16 crazy. ounces, yeah, w- which was like $18. And I'm talking like ribeyes, New York strips. They really like love the flank steak there. And it's pretty much all grass-fed. And you could tell by the lack of fat on there. Like... It's with, it goes without saying that the steak is grass-fed. And we were going through the kind of like the plains of Argentina. Like we were driving from Buenos Aires to Pinamar. That's about a four-hour bus ride. And there's just these open fields of cattle. Like I saw maybe like 2,000 heads of cattle on my way there. And that's only when I was looking outside of the windows. And these cows are just openly grazing on grasses. I went there during the New Year holidays, and that's summertime for them. And the lush plain fields of grass were just huge. And these cattle are just all intuitively grass-fed. Like Taking these cattle and confining them to feedlots is a, is a new thing in America only. And that's a lot of the reason why these grass-fed beef companies, they pull all of their grass-fed beef, the co-packers, from Australia, Uruguay, New Zealand, Argentina, those type of hotspot areas. Because these American farmers, they just simply want profit. And like it's completely out of their They want
1: grain-fed beef.
0: Yeah, and so basically, the pretty much the best place to source your beef from, from a nutrition standpoint, an environment standpoint, a health standpoint, is local regenerative farmers. And I want to emphasize local, because the less the meat has to travel, first of all, the less it's aged, the less histamines it has. A freshly slaughtered cow has a completely different taste from a cow that's oh, been yeah. sitting in a freezer. Like, we get our meat from a local Amish farm, and we can tell instantly when the cow is freshly slaughtered. Yeah,
1: one week, a a new cow started coming in. I could tell.
0: Yeah, like, the quality of meat is completely different. And the less the meat has to travel, the less carbon gets put into into the environment. And since 97% of the cattle are coming from these massive feedlots, the soil is not sucking up all that carbon, so it's just in the environment. Um, (laughs) That's a whole different podcast of whether or not it's bad. So, to kind of give you guys some leads on local farmers that you could source from that are well, doing it right. not
1: local. Local in their
0: area. They're not, like, pulling. <laughs> everyone's like, local yeah, in Yeah, like, area. a lot of ground beef that's getting made and put into stores. It's like a lot of people like to say it's, like, beef from 10,000 cows in one package of one, one pound ground beef. Yeah. So, like, the animals, their ground beef is coming from one cow in that area. Single sourced. Yeah, but some direct-to-consumer farms to name a few, are like White Oak Pastures. They're based Georgia. in Georgia. Uh, Dutch Meadow Farms, which is actually based in Pennsylvania near us. Is it in New Jersey? No, Dutch Meadow Farms is based in Pennsylvania, uh, but they have drops all around New York City and this area, and they ship pretty much uh, nationwide, like White Oak Pastures. An independent guy doing it, right, that sources from a bunch of Amish farmers that doesn't have... Uh, a farmer... Uh, no, uh, independent guy that sources from a bunch of Amish farmers, and those Amish farmers don't really sell to anyone, pretty much, because they're just a tight-knit community, is Frank Tefano. He has an online website with a bunch of stuff, Raw Dairy. North Star Bison is one of the largest grass-fed, grass-finished bison suppliers. U.S. Wellness Meats is pretty much this hub of meats collected from different farms. Like, I know their bison comes from North Star Bison. Their beef comes from Joyce Farms so they pretty much have a collection it's a little bit pricey on there. force of nature the owners of that owned epic provisions before they sold it and they kind of started this force of nature farm and they have very high quality wild game blends like they have ancestral blends of like bison and then there's also an ancestral bison blend which is bison uh just the ground meat which i think they use chuck and then the heart liver kidney and then primal pastures is a farm based in southern california which pretty much ships nationwide as well. They have some very solid grass-fed and finished beef as well.
1: Yeah, and I think this podcast, it was very informative. That's pretty much all we had. There's also a lot of other topics here that could use a deeper dive. Like, for example...
0: Like Frank Tafano. The
1: sole reason, not the sole reason, but one of the driving reasons behind this whole feedlot situation in America is the four conglomerates. And if they basically released the pressure on these farmers, they wouldn't be able to cut, they wouldn't need to cut costs at every corner. That's kind of a quote unquote conspiracy theory that we could dive into. And there's a lot of other things here that we could dive into as well. But I think that was very informational and pretty much might steer people away from eating feedlot beef, which is good considering the fact that we're only at 3% grass fed right now.
0: Yeah. And the reason that these four conglomerates do all of this, kind of like a last point is that how, how meat allotment works in the United States is pretty much by contract. Like at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the quarter, however they do it quarterly, annually, whatever, they pretty much sign a contract with these farms saying that they're going to need X amount of meat produced for the entire year. So that puts a lot of pressure on these farmers to produce that amount of beef yeah. for the entire year. Otherwise, they, they completely go against the contract then that could have legal issues with it. So these four conglomerates are pretty much the, one of the hugest reasons that the American meat industry is one of the, the worst in the entire world, honestly.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, we literally started off on the wrong foot. America's a, a young country. Well, 1776, we officially became a country. Other countries have been grass-fed farming for thousands of years. We went straight to feed lots.
0: Yeah, we came like, here, we killed the entire bison population.
1: No, we didn't do that. <laughs> the Native Americans did Yeah, that. the Native
0: Americans would have done it anyway yeah. if we weren't here. But we're getting it back slowly. That pretty much wraps up the whole modern feed law propaganda, the environmental propaganda, the differences between the grass-fed and the grain-fed beef. We kind of highlighted some farmers that were doing it right. And what it means to do it right. Yeah, so that's pretty much WorldCast 5. It's a wrap.